Welcome to the Viva Young Adults podcast. We're the Young Adults Ministry of Viva Church, and we want to thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're already a part of YA or a guest with us today, we hope that what's shared encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Amen. Thank you, Carmel. Kind of feels like I'm receiving an Academy Award, but with prayer. <laughs> thank you for that kind intro. So who was here for the first part one, the connection we crave? Yeah, so like 30% of you, awesome. Did any of you like apply anything from that message? Yeah? All right, so today I'm just going to review some of it and deepen it because I think if we do this, what I'm going to talk about today, it'll like totally change our lives and our culture and we really need a change in our lives and our culture. So you and I... From cradle to grave, we're meant to live in connection, in deep connection with God and other people. And in the absence of connection, there's suffering. It's, it's one answer to the rhetorical question of, like, why is there so much suffering in the world? Like, why is there so much disconnection and loneliness in the world? And I'm going to ex- talk about that today. So... When we're living connected lives, we are happier, healthier, and more able to deal with the stresses of everyday life. How many of you want to cope better with the stress in your life? So I'm going to help you out today. And so um, so this picture here, if I, I know half of you can see, I'm sorry, for the other half, if you want to turn over periodically, you can, but you don't have to. So this is... Um, the reason it's blue is because it's where they, firm, where they filmed Smurfs. I just combined that. <laughs> but I wanted to show you a picture of a village. Um, because in most of the history of humankind, people lived in 150-person villages that spanned maximum a 20-mile radius. And they would eat together, hunt together, raise kids together. There's no locks, no doors. Everything is done together. Like, really, that expression, like, it takes a village. Like, most of history, people have lived in a village, and they help each other with everything. They did this not only to survive, because it's what made a fulfilling and satisfying life. That, um, and 80% of the world still lives like this, where people are, are, it's like dense, right, in the picture. Like, people are rubbing shoulders constantly as they walk through, like, the city square. They're bumping into people. They're seeing the same people over and over all the time. And when you live in a place like this, you are fully known, and you fully know others. So, professor and author um, Brene Brown famously told a story about this remote village in Africa where the women would go to the river to wash their clothing. And as they went, as they were doing that, they would talk together, share stories. They would laugh till they cried. They would give each other advice on parenting. And they had like this amazing time and you wouldn't even see it on their faces that they lived in poverty except for their tattered clothing and the murky water they were washing clothes in. 
But as the people learned how to farm crops and they were doing better, um, they were making more money, eventually they got some of the modern conveniences we have with that money, such as washing machines. And what happened after every home in the village had a washing machine? The prevalence of depression sharp, sharply rose with all the moms in the village. Suddenly, every mom is depressed. So I'm not saying that washing machines are from the devil, <laughs> that you have to go home and throw out your washing machine because, <laughs> and to wash your clothes in Lake Ontario, you might encounter a three-eyed fish or something. <laughs> See that Simpsons episode? <laughs> so, um, Pastor Mushiga, he was raised in a family of refugees following the Rwandan genocide in 1994. He said this, the more resources a person gets, the more walls he or she puts up and the more lonely they become. He moved to the States and this, this is what he said after experiencing culture in the States. So here's another thing that's added to our collective loneliness. This um, fountain used to be at the center of every village. There, was this, there were fountains, these huge six-foot-tall structures where people would come and gather. The children would play. People would get water to drink to bring back home to um, cook. They'd wash their clothing there, use the water for irrigation. And so they need water like all day, right? So they're rubbing shoulders all day. And I want to ask you, like, what are the water wells of today? Because in the Bible, so many things happen at water wells. Namely, future spouses were met. And now, <laughs> some of you are listening now. So Moses met um, Zipporah there. <laughs> there was um, Jacob and Rachel. And um, one of Jesus' most famous encounters at the woman at the well happened there because people always had to go to the well and they would bump into people and, and that would foster these relationships. I want us to think about what kind of water wells are holding our community together today. So just an example for myself, I walk my kids to school every day and you know, in the winter, I'm like, oh, I don't wanna go, but I'm actually so grateful because I formed friendships with my neighbors by walking my kids to school, seeing the same people every day, seeing the cheerful crossing guard greet us. Um, we know each other's names, like we talk a little bit every time we see each other. And then through um, just rubbing shoulders with the parents of my uh, kids, like classmates, I've started to like, in, I've started to invite them over for dinner, invited them to church. One of them came recently. Um, and we're like, we're fostering these deeper relationships and like helping each other bring our kids to and from school, forming that community. And what, I wanna ask you, what are the water wells in your life where you can be rubbing shoulders with people in and out, in and out, every day, all throughout the day. So we're not living in 150-person villages now, obviously. So what kind of time are we in? Some would say that we're in the digital age, but I'm gonna say that we're actually in the loneliness age. So people don't need each other anymore. People have everything that they need in their homes with their lonely screens. They don't need to go to their neighbors to get sugar or an egg. They'd rather drive to the store themselves. Neighbors 
live 20 years beside each other. They don't even know each other's names as a common occurrence. And I want to say that the, the part of the brain that's triggered when you're lonely is the same part of the brain that's triggered when you feel physical pain. So prisoners in solitary confinement actually can experience like brain damage, neural damage um, from solitary confinement. And that, so they've, um, most prisons have done this, solitary confinement, there's, but there's laws in place now saying you cannot do that to someone for more than 15 days because a, a normal person will become, like they'll start to move towards insanity and become suicidal with long enough solitary confinement. So there's this one man, John McCain. He lost to Obama in the 2008 election, but he, was, um, he served uh, in the war, and he was flying a plane one day, and he was shot down, taken as a prisoner of war in North Vietnam, and I think for about six years, he experienced torture and solitary confinement. He had limbs broken, um, and he didn't have any, obviously, medical care after, so he would just... He'd have his limbs broken, he'd be tortured, just like, he'd just be there for long periods of time. And when he was asked, like, what was worse, guess what he said? Between solitary confinement and torture. He said solitary confinement was worse. And he said it was much worse. So if I were to ask you, JV, if I put you in a room alone or break your legs, <laughs> I'm sure you would say, put me in a room. But, <laughs> break your legs. So loneliness is an alarm signal saying, like, if you don't do something about this, like, you're a goner. Like, you might actually, you might actually die. And what did God say to Adam after he was done creating? Say it with me. It is not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. So God wired us for connection but one-third of the population now, they have two or fewer people in their lives that they're feeling connected to. It's like, it's like the greatest health, public health risk of our time, the loneliness that is normal now in our culture. Chronic loneliness is as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. <laughs> so it increases our risk of cancer, uh, premature death, and maybe you're saying, oh my goodness, I don't want to live, like I don't want to die early or get sick. So I'm going to give you like one of the elixirs to life today. <laughs> um, so I have a thing for TED Talks. And there's one by longevity researcher Susan Pinker, who researched um, places, one place, um, Villa Grande in Sardinia, Italy, which is a blue zone where the happiest people in the world live. And they have 10 times as many centenarians as, uh, as in North America. Centenarians meaning they're over 100. They, many, many people live well to over 100 in the blue zones. So they looked at why. Villa Grande in the picture here. So it's this uh, remote mountainous island in the Mediterranean. And then uh, Susan Pinker found that genes account for 25% of longevity and the rest is, is guess what? Your lifestyle. So what do you notice about this picture, which isn't particularly like beautiful or breathtaking? 
Yeah, it's clustered. It's its density. The density of Villa Grande is its virtue. So people who, grow, who live in a blue zone, the, the lives of the villagers are constantly intersecting. So when they go to the store, the person knows them at the store. The restaurant, the person knows them. When you're crossing anybody, you know them, you talk to them. They're like in your life. Everybody knows each other. The pastor, the grocer, family, friends. People are always dropping by on each other. There was this study published in 2010 based on 49,000 subjects on what will cause you to live the longest. They looked at clean air, hypertension medication, whether it's if you're obese, if you're exercising, flu vaccines, whether you need to stop drinking and, and smoking cigarettes in order to live the longest. But they found that all of these things like, didn't have a huge like, factor in whether you live the longest. There were only two things that like, far outweighed everything else. And number two, close relationships. This means that you have three people in your life that you call your good friends that will drop everything to go with you to the hospital, to look after you, to like sit and just be there with you. Close relationships. And so if you have close relationships, at least three, you will want to live a long life and you will live a long life. And then the number one indicator that you will live a dis disproportionately immensely long life is social integration. And what this means is that you need close relationships and you also need those like casual relationships. This is like bigger than close relationships. You need people that you're rubbing shoulders with constantly at the coffee shop, you know their name, at the, when you're checking out your groceries, you know the person that's helping you out. Uh, the people you play hockey with, if you're in a book club, the people at your school, the people in this church. Social integration is the number one thing that will determine how long you live. So let's, um, let's do a, a quick review. I talked about Dunbar social, social Network Theory last time. And he talks about, he's this um, psychologist and researcher, and he said that we can only maintain 150 connections at one time. And then within those 150 connections, the more time we spend with someone, the more they go in into this picture of the concentric circles. So, so you have your acquaintances, so the 150, where you know each other's names, you know each other's skills, you could ask them for help. And then the more time you spend with them, they go into your village. The 10 to 30 people that you're seeing kind of frequently, maybe not every day, but at least like several times in a month. And then the more time you spent with them, they move in into your inner circle of two to five. And then ideally, you spend your closest connection is God right in the middle. So if we are not, if we don't have that 150, it's like out of the 150, we get the next string. And then out of that, we get the next string. If you're not putting yourself, if your life isn't lived, where you do have that constant human contact, you're not going to be able to build, like keep building those layers. Friends don't magically appear. Friends come out of the acquaintances that you're rubbing shoulders with, and then the more time you spend with them, they become friends. So if you don't see someone face to face, they're going to keep moving out into the outer ring until the relationship dies. And that can take like, that could take 18 months. 
where if you have no contact, eventually you might not be a friend anymore. So what's in the way of us having a village? People are spending 11 hours a day on screen time. All of the time that people used to spend with people are now being <laughs> spent on screens. And there's correlations between worsened mental health and the number of, time, uh, number of hours you spend on screens. For kids who are spending eight hours a day on screens, there's a correlation between their, how well they do in school and how much they spend on, time they spend on screens because the more they're on screens, the less human interaction they're getting. It slows down even their language development because nobody's talking to them. They're just like zoned out on their screens. The strongest predictor of a teenager's school achievement is whether they sit down to eat dinner with their family. And it predicts whether girls get pregnant in high school and whether they're going to go to college and get a good job. So I want to say a bit more about like face-to-face -face interactions. There are so many benefits. If you ever thought about doing drugs, like put that aside and do this instead. Face-to-face <laughs> -face interactions because your brain releases neurotransmitters that reduce your stress and protect your immune system now and into the future. You get like a dopamine rush. You feel rewarded and you trust people more when you interact face-to-face. -face. And you get this natural high from oxytocin that kills pain like a natural morphine in your body in face-to-face -face connections. When you make eye contact, you give high fives, you give someone props, shake hands. That releases oxytocin in your brain and you get a natural high. So don't do drugs, do face-to-face -face connections. <laughs> so your face-to-face -face connections are this biological force field that extends your life. And people who are socially engaged have the lowest rate of dementia, like your brain's not gonna break down. Um, women with breast cancer are four times more likely to survive than people who have no one based on a study of 4,000 nurses. So even if you get sick, you're gonna recover because of your face-to-face -face connections. So it's gonna be okay if you do this. So let's take a closer look at the relationships in Sardinia. Here in the West, um, it's pretty common to put the elderly in nursing homes. I know it's very complicated. You can probably talk to Chanel about it. <laughs> We're 10 years in a nursing home. God bless you. <laughs> but um, in Sardinia, in that, in that village, Villa Grande, when asked about their like, care for the elderly, because they all, nobody would go to nursing homes. They would have their family members take care of them until they died. And then when the researcher was like, no, don't you, like, don't you, dislike this loss of freedom, you can't just like live your life. And she says about this hundred-year-old uncle she's looking after, il mio tesoro, he is my treasure. She says, this is my honor, this is my privilege and my heritage to take care of him. Like how beautiful. And it's not just this one-on-one -on -one interaction. Um, as the researcher was there asking questions, there were people coming in and out of their house all day, bringing food, sharing stories, like constant human contact all day. People are never alone. Nobody in Villa Grande is alone, and they live like to 100, 120 years old. 
So one of the favorite, my favorite seasons in life, um, you can see the picture back there. <laughs> Just turn around for this one. <laughs> so yes, Vicky is in the top right corner. <laughs> oh, top left corner, sorry. And then there's Michelle in the bottom middle. <laughs> this is from 17 years ago when some of you were in diapers. <laughs> Just had a mental picture, JV's head and <laughs> baby's body in a diaper. <laughs> so 17 years ago, this is where I just started university. And it was one of the, my favorite seasons in life because everything that we did, even though I'm an introvert, I loved it. Like my heart was so full. Every meal, living in residence, you're eating meals with people every day, making new friends building my friendships. We're doing campus ministry together, 7 a.m. prayer meetings, all night prayer meetings. Um, like just in and out constantly, our lives are intersecting, uh, pranking each other, me <laughs> being pranked. There was one time I came back to my dorm room and um, there were 20 people in duffel bags emptying out my whole room. <laughs> And the reason I caught them is because I forgot my flip-flops for the shower. And quite impressive, actually, that they were able to almost finish in one minute. But um, I, my heart was so full because I was constantly interacting with people during my university years. And I know that we can't perpetually live in university and never grow up. But I want to ask you about just how you can maybe even go out of your way to interact with people now so that you can have that abundant life that God says we do have in John 10.10. 10. I think that is a big piece of it. And so what does the, the Bible say about connections? In Acts 2.42, it says, devote yourself to fellowship. Fellowship is friendly association. Devote yourselves to fellowship. Foster your casual and deep connections because it's biblical. So, um, like, these close relationships and, and social integration are essential to our lives. Like, it's not optional. Or else we will, like, die early and live, like, a low quality of life. And then I have, you know, some people, you might be asking in your head, you know, yeah, I do spend a ton of time on social media, and I'm connecting with people. Like, isn't that okay? And the answer is no. <laughs> so social media is good at communicating small bits of information, and it's often asynchronous, like it's not at the same time, but it's not good at the give and take that happens when I'm talking to you face-to-face. -face. It's a totally different interaction. You need direct eye contact. Um, and when you're talking to a screen, even if it's a video call, the technology is not set up that you're looking at each other. Like you're looking away from each other as you're talking on a video call. And I could be wrong, but I don't think 11 hours a day on screens is what God intended for us. And then another objection I hear sometimes is, you know, I get what you're saying. I, I need to be in relationships, but... I've done relationships and I've been burned and I don't want to do it anymore. And what I'll say is that heartbreak is connected to love and belonging. And Brene Brown said, the brokenhearted are the bravest among us they dare to love. If you're human and you're breathing and you want to experience joy in life, you're going to experience pain as well. 
As long as you're alive and living, like that is one of the certainties of life. When you get married, the only thing I can tell you with certainty is that is at some point you're going to hurt each other. So um, to love is to be vulnerable. And if you're, um, if you're someone who never wants to get hurt, then you're never going to have relationships. And you're going to live like an impoverished life. If you want relationships, you're going to get hurt. And that's just part of relationships, that people are the best and the most painful parts of life. And the only way we cultivate this love and connection is when we allow our most vulnerable selves to be seen by another person. So um, is there anything, like, I, I just think about God sometimes and I think, like, is there anything else more beautiful than the God of the universe rubbing shoulders with us and interacting with us in this way that I'm talking about with the villagers, like day in and day out, initiating contact with us. Sometimes, like we don't even notice it, we're not listening. But when we are, God is constantly initiating contact with us. Um, and, and think about how God deals with hurt. Like imagine if God closed up his heart every time we hurt him. Like we'd all... <laughs> Like, there would be no hope for us. God makes himself vulnerable to us, and he allows himself to be hurt by us, and he tries again and again and again. Like, God doesn't give up on us, and so that's the model to follow in how we relate to other people. We've all been programmed in certain ways in our childhood. Maybe um, you coped with your life by resisting connection. It's very common. Um, you think that things are going to go badly with people, so you armor up to protect yourself from disappointment. But I'm going to give you the solution. If you go to God to get your core needs met, then you can withstand anything. You can withstand the deepest pain and disappointment that will come in human relationships. And this is the only way like we can recover um, you can give and receive love, give and receive, give and receive, if your core needs are met in God and he is your source. It's the only way. Because people are never going to love you perfectly. They're going to try and they're not going to be able to do it. Like if you think you, you're going to get married one day and you're finally going to have someone love you as you've always wanted, I'm sorry for what you're going to learn. Yes, marriage can be one of the closest representations of heaven on earth if your core needs for identity and purpose are met in God. Otherwise, the poop's really going to hit the fan. <laughs> so you can experience heaven on earth if you have this, have your needs met in God, and for your soul to be satisfied and full every day, even when you're feeling lots of pain. The two things can go together deep joy in God and deep pain, and we can survive it because God gives us the, the strength and resilience to survive it as our source. So I've had a relationship with God for 23 years now, and I, the more I get to know God, I, um, it's just there's no other relationship in my life that's like this, where I experience 
like perfect love and peace and wisdom and connection and like consistency. Like his abundance is healing. It's perfect. I've never experienced anything like it. And um, in our Christian walk, I know sometimes we're, well, we probably were taught, you know, when you pray, you pray like this. You praise and thank God and then you um, confess your sins and then you do thanksgiving and then you do some intercession. But a lot of like my prayer times with God, honestly, like God's telling me like how much I mean to him. I'm like, it doesn't even like make sense to me. I don't understand it or feel like I deserve it. But like, it's like exactly what I need. It's like God in his grace initiates contact with us and gives us everything that we need. And sometimes I just, I don't want to talk, but I'm there with God and present. And he tells me for an hour of like what I mean to him. And I write it all down. And a lot of my prayer times, prayer times are like that. I'm listening and God is like giving me everything that I, I need that I often in my life have not received. So I want to encourage you, bring God into your innermost circle in, in that Dunbar theory picture. 200 hours, that's what it takes for someone to become a friend. And then you keep clocking those hours to bring them into your innermost circle Clock in your two hour, 200 hours with Jesus and then just keep clocking it in. Because that's the only way you're going to draw him in close. Because that's what he wants more than anything as well. He wants you. And he wants just like, he wants you just as you are with your messed up life. And that's what he wants the most. Like out of everything in the world that he's created. He just wants you to be there with him in your innermost circle. So I'm going to do some application. Number one, initiate with people. Plan your day to increase your contact rather than avoid. You know, sometimes you might see someone at the grocery store and you duck into the next aisle. <laughs> Maybe you're like all frumpy and you, <laughs> you just rolled out of bed and you didn't brush your teeth. <laughs> and you just like don't want to talk to anyone, just grab the beans and go. <laughs> you know, you're a student eating beans. <laughs> um, you know, even if you're frumpy, it is good if you initiate contact with people. Um, figure out, like, when you're thinking about your day, instead of, like, I have to do this, this, and this, and this as fast as I can, and it's, like, jam-packed, and none of it has to do with people. Like, that is um, a way to really lower your quality of life and, like, lead to a premature death. Increase your face-to-face -face contact with people. Figure out how to do that. Take walks in your neighborhood. Linger on your couch. Talk to people who walk by your house. Have campfires. Um, talk, to, like, talk to the person who's helping you cash out like at the grocery store. Like, foster these face-to-face -face connections and build a relationship one person at a time. Think about how Jesus did it. He would walk into a town and be like, Hey, you, up in the tree, I'm coming to your house for dinner. <laughs> like, Nikki also did this to me once. She, I didn't know her very well, and she came up to me, she's like, yo, Pastor Fred, I'm coming to your house on Thursday. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> but I'm so glad she did it after, you know, getting over the awkwardness, because <laughs> Nikki's like no longer an acquaintance to me. Like, we've had, like, talks and dinners together. She's played with my kids. 
And just like the other day, she came over with a few others and we laughed till we cried. And I just love spending time with her. She inspires me, but it never would have happened if she didn't invite herself over for dinner. <laughs> so good job, Nikki. <laughs> so Jesus deliberately surrounded himself with people and he invited people to join him in everything that he was doing. So invite people to join you. If you need to go to the grocery store, invite someone. Work out, invite someone. Study, invite someone. Just draw people in into your life at every turn. And then once you have a friendship, this is the other thing. Like, don't bail when it gets hard. Fight for your friendships. Because another guarantee in life is that that friendship at some point is going to get hard. And then if you, like, get rid of that friendship, you go to the next one, that friendship at some point is going to get hard. So if you do that, you're never going to keep your friends. And the same with churches. If you leave a church because you're hurt, you're going to go to the next church and get hurt again and go to the next church and get hurt again. At some point, you're going to have to fight for the relationships. Hi, Pastor Frank. <laughs> you're going to have to fight for your relationships because this is just a normal part of life that your connections with people at some point, like someone's going to hurt you. Maybe unintentionally, often unintentionally, but they will. And then you work through it, you repair it, you do everything you can before you let it go. And I'm not, I'm not talking about abusive relationships, that's a topic for another time, but in normal friendships, fight for your friendships. When you avoid or push something away, you bring that thing into existence. So if you live your life in fear of loneliness and rejection, you're going to act in ways that actually attract loneliness and rejection into your life. So if you are someone that refuses to initiate people, you're like, oh, no one wants to be my friend. Like, the world sucks. I hate everyone. I don't want to try because they're just going to reject me anyway. You're going to present yourself in a certain way where people are going to be maybe afraid of you. And then you're not going to end up with any friends. And then you'll just say, oh, I knew it anyway. I was going to be lonely and rejected. But it's because you held that already. You acted that way. And then you attracted it into your life. So your avoidance coping strategy, avoiding people, it's going to guarantee that you live a life of loneliness. Science and research already proves what God said, that it is not good for man to be alone. You are not meant to be alone. And to suffer. And God's just saying today, like, that's enough. That's enough with the suffering, with like how lonely you feel. Because really, that is suffering. What is hell? Separation from God. Some people are experiencing hell, like on earth. That you choose to separate, you choose to push God away, you invite hell into your life. It's, it's like tormenting to live a life of loneliness. We weren't meant to do it. And God's saying, that's enough. That's enough. You need to do something and initiate this different life that you want. If you want a full life with people who love you and, and cherish you and that are there at all the significant moments, you're going to have to initiate. You're going to have to take uncomfortable action and do something that you maybe normally wouldn't do. Because if you're just going to sit back and wait, it's probably never going to happen. You're going to live a lonely life till you die. 
and then you're going to die sooner. <laughs> so anything you build in your life, your friendships, it's going to be hard. But that's what anything that's worth fighting for in life, like anything really great, full of joy, like you're going to have to fight for. You're going to have to work through it when it gets hard. And so let's follow God's example of not giving up on us when we're in a bad mood or a bad season and we push him away. He doesn't say, like, screw you, we're done. He pursues us again, again, again. It's like, come back to me. Come back to me. I'm just, I'm here waiting for you. God's just, like, so consistent and persistent in initiating friendship with us. And we need to do that for the people that we're rubbing shoulders with here. So conclusion, my conclusion is that in this life, we will know like deep sorrow and anguish, but also breathless love and joy all in the context of our relationships. You want the one, you want the joy, you take the pain with it and you get God, you ask God to help you through it because he will. You can withstand it because God's giving you what you need so that you can pour out to other people. So let me pray for you. Lord, we just thank you for how kind you are to us. We thank you for modeling to us how to do relationships, that you just went right into people's lives. You went into their homes. You invited yourself over for dinner. You started conversations. You were accessible. You were available all the time, and you still are to us. And we just thank you, God, for the, the, the kind, persistent, consistent, available God that you are just pursuing us day in and day out. I just pray for the people in this room that, have, um, that are struggling in their relationship with you. I pray for, for you to help them just to heal those wounds so that they can try again, so that they can show up and be brave and try again today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our, in our friendships and in our acquaintance relationships, that um, you would change our hearts so that we are full of love for people and that our intention set for the day is not to avoid people, but to make ourselves available for people, to often go out of our way so that we can come into contact with someone, so that we're a people in a culture, a church, that is drawing people in, into your kingdom through our day-to-day -day contact, through hearing their stories, through sharing Jesus, through um, encouraging each other. I pray that you would change our hearts, change our lives, so that we are not just like everyone else living in North America, this 11-hour-a-day screen time lonely existence <laughs> heading towards premature death. We believe what you said, God, that you want us to have a long and abundant life. That's your promise, like in so many scriptures, a long and abundant life full of people on mission together. We want that, God. Help us to get there. Help us to make those decisions every day to change our lives, to organize our agendas, our schedules, so that we are coming into contact with people constantly. Lord, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I wanted to, um, just for a few minutes, 
um, ask if anyone had any questions. I know I loaded that with a lot of information. Um, I hope it was clear, but I want to see if there were any things that you had questions about, and then um, if not, I can close. Yeah. Yeah, 11 hours of screen time. Mm -hmm. um, well, people are on their um, computers all day, so you have your work day, and then they use their leisure time. They're on their phones. Um, so you can probably look on your phone. All the phones are tracking already. You guys can pull out your phone. And most people are like doing three, four, five hours of their leisure time on screen time on top of their screen time at work. So it's just like sitting in front of a screen 11 hours. Like almost all of your waking hours. I don't know. Like a deep introvert um, who is serving in like their fullest capacity at church. I think of myself like just being already in so many things during church that like giving even more time to like other people seems like a big. And I'm being vulnerable here, guys. I I love you guys, but like I really um, treasure my alone time it's like almost like if I don't have that I feel like I'm like just going from place to place to place to place and then I run myself really haggard yeah. um, maybe I'm not like my best self when I end up extending myself to that extent do you have like tips that I could yeah so Jesus had this rhythm to his life where he was um, often going away on his own to a solitary place sometimes like people would get really alarmed because he was gone for so long but um that is a healthy rhythm of life, that you're coming away with Jesus, you get filled up, and then you come back with people. Um, and with uh, high introverts, what I would say is, yes, you might need a little bit more time than the average person alone. Um, but also, that it's like um, a preference. So I, I think about, like, you know, we're made in the image of God, and... Um, we're, we're wired to like be in connection. So if you, if you find that you have like a lot of connection already, I'm not saying you have to like double that still. Like if you already have a life like that, like that's fantastic. Um, where you're available to people, you're building friendships and relation, acquaintances. Um, so maybe you already have it um, because I'm not asking you to like come into these interactions like totally depleted that you need your time alone um, hopefully with Jesus and then you come back with people just like the back and forth rhythm so we need both separateness and connection and that might look a little bit different in terms of like percentage for different people uh, a high extrovert might need very little alone time but they should push themselves for maybe more alone time, and the high introvert should push themselves a little bit to have more people time. Yeah. So how can I, like we have interactions with people? We have interactions with people all day, uh, how can I 
identify like those interactions as something that is like really count on the towards the objective of really making like meaningful like connections with people. Yeah. So people that you're already interacting with every day, try to um, try to deepen your connections with them. So you need um, you need those casual interactions, but you also need like closer relationships with more depth. And it's never a bad thing to try to deepen your relationship with someone. So maybe you could put a little bit more thought into how to start conversations or asking people more about their lives, like your coworkers. Just like get involved in each other's lives. Like maybe get a little bit un-Canadian, a little bit intrusive, and just like get to know each other like beyond a superficial level. I've been a Christian for a long time, so I've met like a variety of Christians who gone through different spiritual battles, different issues, personal issues. Now, how do you develop spiritual discernment to decide or realize, you know, this person really can't go it alone? How do you develop that? When is the right time to intervene? When is it not kind of thing? Yeah, so we need like different categories of people. We have people in our lives who need us and then and then people who where we need them. And then some where it's completely equal like in friendships. So in terms of discernment, I would ask you to maybe in your prayer time like ask God or just reflect on who are the people that need me that I'm just I'm in this relationship so I can give to them. It's not two way. And we need those relationships. So when um, John, when you're out like serving the homeless, that might be that type of relationship. You're, these are the people that maybe need me, like I'm going out of my way to serve them. Um, I'm not going to them to ask for advice about my family. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, I mean, you could, but so, and then you have other relationships where God, who are the people that I need? Like maybe people who are a little bit further along in life than you that can mentor you. Um, speak into your life for a different season, and then people who are equals, which are friends. And so there's like the equal back and forth of supporting each other, calling each other in need, having fun, et cetera, et cetera. Does that answer your question? Um, you said once you have a friendship, don't bail. When it gets hard, fight for your friendships. What do you do when you're on one end fighting for that friendship, but the other person isn't putting in that effort to fight to maintain that friendship as well? Yeah, so, um, I mean, that's a very, uh, it's a very hard situation. Like, good on you for fighting, um, even though it's not reciprocated. I think in situations like this, like if you feel a pull, like a call and conviction, like you need to keep fighting for this friendship. And if, like, if it takes 10 years, but God's like calling you to do it, then do it for 10 years. It's like, you know how all those stories, like I've, I've been praying 30 years for my family to be saved and then, the, and then they get saved. Like, don't give up so easily. It's like we're in a culture now where as soon as we try and things don't go the way that we want, we stop. We need like immediate results, immediate, immediate everything. And that's not how God works. 
Like, he'll wait decades for someone. And so if you're convicted to keep pursuing this friend, maybe at some point, like, you're the only person reaching out, and then they, and then they open up again. And so I would just ask you to trust your gut. And, you know, I know that's probably really hurtful for you to take those hits, like, again and again and again. And just, like, keep asking God to heal that. So maybe that you don't need you don't need that support and affirmation from them because you have it from your other friends and from God and so that you can just be in a position to give. So that's a, a relationship where maybe they need me and I'm just going to give, but I'm not going to rely on them to be there for me. Yeah, it's sad. I know the Bible talks about um, being careful with, like, who we allow in our inner circle. And I don't know. I don't think it touches on the same question term, like, that mentorship kind of, like, one-sided relationship. But how to use the discernment because we're not, you know, meant to be connected with everybody. So how do we use that discernment? And, like, Lord, like, who's for me? Like, who, who have you, you know, orchestrated to walk close to me and who hasn't? And how do I stand firm? Because if you're somebody that struggles with people-pleasing, it's just say, oh, I just want to be nicer. Oh, they're lonelier. But it's probably not a healthy friendship or relationship. So what does that look like in terms of trusting God and asking him to lead you into the right people to be with? And um, still loving, like it's never not loving, but what does that look like in that sense? Yeah, I think usually with relationships, there's like a natural flow to it. You know, some people you just meet and you can like, you just get closer. You don't have to try super hard. Um, you just kind of like, you put yourself out there. You make yourself available. You foster these like casual connections. And then naturally, there's like a flow that happens where naturally you're going to like gravitate towards people who have the same values as you, who have the same uh, sense of mission, the same um, maybe passion for God. And then that just keeps like kind of attracting you together. Um, so in terms of your question of praying to discern, I think you can, you can feel it like on a deeper level, but then of course you kind of answered it yourself that yes, you can pray and discern and ask God, is this somebody, um, I should keep drawing in or maybe they should stay in my village or stay in the acquaintance ring. That's, that's okay too. We only have like a capacity for so much, um, so with, like, say, the 150 circle, once you get to over 150, the community um, starts to disintegrate. It's too many. And then they, it happens, like, in factories, offices, uh, villages. They split off into two, and then they build up their 150 again. So um, I totally agree that in some seasons, relationships that were really important in your life, in the next season, might not be anymore. And you just, it's just the ebb and flow of life, that things are born and things die, including our friendships. But it's just if it's in alignment and you have a conviction to fight for it, um, or you just, you can let things go as well. Because if you're welcoming someone in, but you're already kind of full, like you can't be all things to all people all the time. Like you're a limited person. So you could ask God to help you. Like, What's the best use in terms of my innermost circle? 
like my closest accountability partner, I would say put a lot of discernment into that because the people that you're spending time with, the most time with, you're going to become like, uh, and you don't want it to go south. <laughs> For those of us in the room who may have experienced any kind of church hurt or church wounds, how would you encourage us to reintegrate back into a church community? I would say to you, be brave and have those hard conversations with the people involved. So I know it's like maybe the last thing you want to do <laughs> to like face the thing that you're most afraid of or you've been avoiding, but um, it's like the only way out. It's the only way to potentially resolve a situation. So go to the person who hurt you. Um, first, you can, you know, in all of this, you can ask God to heal you, give you clarity, perspective. Often, like, God tells me things, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I would never have thought of that. Like, he just doesn't think like us. I'd ask God for clarity. Um, and then I would go to the person and, like, try to work it out. Um, if your feelings are like super intense and you feel sort of like you can't rein it in and it's like really disrupting your life, talk to a mentor or a pastor or a counselor to try to like regulate yourself a little bit. Talk to God, like keep pouring out your heart and your pain to God. And then when you've like settled down a little bit in, in yourself, and you're on the process, you've started the process of forgiveness, then you go to the person um, and try to like, say, like, I felt really hurt when you said or did this, and I'm talking to you because I want to repair it. So if you come from a position of vulnerability, it's very unlikely the person's going to attack you or the thing's going to get worse. Not impossible, but unlikely. <laughs> okay. Does that answer your question? I feel like we kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, in terms of forgiveness, when you are hurt in like a friendship or a relationship and you we want to be like Jesus, we want to give grace and forgiveness, how do you either like repair that? How do you know if it's something you need to repair? or if it's something that you need to ask God to help you forgive them and move forward. I mean, you have a choice. It's like, um, I don't think God ever makes us do anything. There are some choices that are like wiser than others. But even if you're going to leave a relationship, I would say like leave the relationship properly. If you're going to leave a church, leave the church like properly do the transition well so if you're gonna um walk away from a friendship like don't do it secretly <laughs> so like in 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 your power whatever in whatever your power is to do maybe you could try to repair it but if it's, it's just not working you could tell the person like what what's happening and that you're letting it go and that you care about them and it's just like it's too hard to be in this relationship with you. It's just too painful. And I, I wish like we didn't have to 
go our separate ways or not be as close anymore. I just like, I can't like handle this level of pain or grief in this relationship. Um, but if, you know, if you ever want to talk again and there's like changes that can be made, like I'm willing to talk to you again. So you, you can make that choice. And I would just say, um, don't let it go before like really giving it a good try. All right, anyone? Oh, one more. Okay. Um, I know you mentioned pain, but as a Christian, how much pain is enough as a Christian? Because uh, you mentioned like when there's joy, there's also pain. But like as a Christian, how much pain can you take? Or just as an individual, as a person? I think as we grow as a Christian or as, and as a person, like, God expands our capacity. <laughs> so maybe, like, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have been able to withstand what someone did to you. But today, like, with your life experience and, like, what you know of God and the strength of your relationship with God now, like, you can withstand it. And um, in terms of, like, healing the pain, there's emotional healing and there's forgiveness and like God offers that to us. It's, of course, it's a process. I'm not saying, you know, if someone does horrific things to you, that uh, that you have to forgive them today and like make everything right. Like that would just be like foolishness. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that to you. Um, but like God gives us like a supernatural ability to um, withstand like the pain of life. Because the joy exists with the pain. So even if you're in the worst season of your life, God comes into the, your darkness and your, your grief, your pain, and there's joy with it too. It's not like lopsided one. If anything, it would be lopsided towards the joy, even if you go through pain. So like, we're meant to live in the supernatural, and we have the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit that gives us joy, that can like far outweigh any pain. And so really, like we can withstand anything because of the, of the power and the, the person, the life of God in us. And we can withstand it too because like God identifies with us in our pain. Um, it's not like, a, and that's a huge part of the relief, like for me. When God empathizes with my emotional pain, I get relief. And I, I'm sure you would too. When someone totally gets your experience, you feel relief. And then soon after I feel relief, I feel joy. Like it, the whole range of that emotion comes back. But if you push pain away, you spend your life avoiding pain, you have no joy as well. You can't have one without the other. They like exist together. Uh, so, you know how you were saying, like, you're most like the people who you surround yourself with? Um, 
so none of my family, like not a single person in my family are good influences. And um, like none of them are Christians. And I've tried, you know, sharing my story and how great my life has been since um, I've had God in my life. And uh, they all kind of just turn me down. They're all drug abusers and alcoholics and whatnot. And, uh, you know, like I'm, I've cut them off for a certain amount of time because I had to, to protect myself. But um, I feel like it's been long enough now where I can reconnect and try to reach out with some of them. But I can't really surround myself around them. I've tried once already. Um, but, like, I turn into them. I turn into my old self again. And I start, you know, cussing like a sailor again. And, you know, I want to do drugs again. I want to drink again, all that stuff. And it's just like... How do I, like, I can't pluck them out individually, like, one at a time, like, hey, like, let me sit. So, um, I guess my question is, like, what's the easiest way to go at that, you know, like, just reintegrate with my family and just stay away from all the negative energy and stuff and hopefully eventually bring some of them to church and to God. Yeah, I would say, like, start by really um, investing in, uh, you're in a small group, right? Yeah, yeah like, Draw some of those people into your innermost circle and then um, let them influence you until you get to the point where when you're in a situation like with your family, you're the one influencing them. And if you can't do that right now, maybe you do need to really limit your time with them. Um, I'm all for like setting boundaries in that they help us to have healthy relationships. But if there's relationships in your life that consistently bring out the worst in you and you can't influence them, then I would say set like pretty strict boundaries and limits around how much time you're going to spend with them. And you can tell them why. You can say, if I spend time with you, I come to this Christmas dinner, this is what I need. And they're like, screw you, I'm not doing that. Then maybe don't go to the Christmas dinner. I know it's really sad because it's, it's your family, but you setting the boundaries makes it possible that you can have a healthy relationship with them. All right, so we're way over time. Thanks for sitting here and listening to, over, to all of that. Yeah, I, I just want to say, like, Viva Young Adults, like, I am so inspired by your lives. And, like, knowing, like, more of you personally over the last, like, year, I have so much hope for this next generation that you're going to be, like, culture changers and world changers and including in this area of relationships. Like, I can just see on your faces, like, for many of you, like, you're all in. You're going to do this. You're going to, like, be the person that changes the culture and is like with people and and not and like resisting this life of loneliness and um yeah i just want to say like you inspire me and i'm like so proud of all of you thank you for listening to the message we believe that we weren't meant to do life alone so feel free to reach out by following and dming us at the young adults and don't forget to like rate and subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you know